Biocharismites. Welcome to the Biocharisma Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Gardner. We have our second part with Dylan Sicoccio, and I promise you this time we get into the hot piping gravy with Dylan. We get into Phoenicia, the Phoenicians. Um, he was just on Chance Garten's uh, Interverse podcast. I believe either the Interverse or the Vibrant. Uh, so if you need a little bit more of the, the squirrely background, uh, go ahead and check him out there. Um, my narrative style, just so you know, isn't to get bogged down in crazy detail. Um, I really want context. So if you're looking for like more detail, like if, if phonetics and etymology is really up your alley, please check out Dylan's work in his Substack. His All of his contacts, all of his links will be in the bio of this podcast. Enjoy. <laughs> so I'm back with my man Dylan Sicoccio. We're both we're both under the pressure of springtime. Well, I'm I'm more so. I'm, I'm making all this biochar while the while the weather is dry. But we had to get into the Phoenicians. Did you uh, see my little email header? What I put there? Phoenicians. Yeah, I was trying to be like you know, uh, like one of the sisters back in the day. My name's Phoenicia, and so <laughs> Phony. Hi, <laughs> <I>, Phoenicia. <laughs> <laughs> it's just some of my uh, plantation. This, high, plantation wait till you see this. Wait till you see this with puns, Phoenicians. I'm gonna do something in six different languages, or actually, I should say, correct myself, six different alphabets. That's one of the things that we're, we we um, just need to leave on the table is that a lot of these old languages or cultures, we only have their alphabet, and an alphabet is not necessarily. We they call it an abacadadium. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily the language. It just means they had the like. That's like the code, right? It doesn't mean they used all the letters. Some of them didn't use all the letters. And so we'll get into that. Um, but when you're ready, you just let me know I'm and we'll I'm get ready. it going. Look, I got, right, my, so, I got my little espresso cup so I can seem very civilized. I'm gonna oh, hell my, yeah, dude. I'm going to put my pinky out. I'm ready. I, I can absorb How it dare you <laughs> to do the presentation, if you will, my lord. All right. Yes. So whether the Phoenicians or Pelagi, as they're called, were real, I cannot say in terms of that name. This is what people called them throughout history. That's what's in the records. But when looking at their tumuli and other artifacts, and for those who don't know, a tumulus is like, um, you'll see them all over uh, Great Britain, Italy, all the way to India. They're like those mounds, if you will, those like burial mounds. And they kind of just look like hills, but underneath them are really intricate megalithic stone structures that people are buried in. Mm -hmm. um, they don't put that... Phoenician word, or they don't call themselves that on the tombs. And so what I can prove, though, is that there is an ancient empire of navigators that has been covered up by a status quo presupposition of history. Now, in that construct or in that, you know, in that type of um, idea, the empire with the best fleet or navy would dominate that. However, early on, the ability to just build a, a seaworthy vessel would allow you to dominate that and that in itself is a cue or sorry a, a clue because if you look at like southeast asia they're still their makeshift rafts are not seaworthy 
Um, if you look at the the celestial empire of China, they couldn't they could only sail up and down their coasts all the way into the 19th century. And they didn't have the means or the uh, celestial navigation skills to cross an ocean. And so, and people died all the time because the, the boats weren't able to really shield them from the elements, the quarters were terrible. So this skill set of being able to use celestial navigation, which requires trigonometry, geometry, all that stuff, and astrology, mm -hmm. it's exclusively Europe, it's a, it's, it was designed by Europeans. And now it's claimed could, could that- Could you define black... Europeans real quick? Well, from the continent of Europe. So, we're, okay. we're, so basically, if you go back into the old world, it's going to be mostly along the coast, right? Mm -hmm. So in that, in that landscape, if you will, it would look like all of the places like Italy, and I'm going to get into, uh, into that, um, you have- the claim of Lebanon, and they used to farm their cedar trees, and that's what they would make the um, wood out of. Um, but when you look at the the phenotypes and all that stuff, like the the through language, you will see that there is a connection of Indian, um, Mediterranean, and Egyptian, and then uh, Celtic. Mm -hmm. So. Whatever that is and whatever that would look like as a phenotype, that is is debatable, but it's going to be mostly European and Celtic at that time because the um, even the word like Arabic, it doesn't really come into like that as like a, a people doesn't come into play till much later on. And that word Arab just means mixed in Ara Aramaic. So what I think the Arabs are is like, they're a mix where that uh, East and West cultures meet. Mm -hmm. And Ethiopia was colonized by Indians. It's a, it's a theological religious name for India. And then subsequently um, Egypt. But you'll see like, I'm gonna read you a quote where the Phoenicians colonized all the way down, right? They, you can only go so far down the Nile till you get into those, um, cataracts or whatever where like the river's like broken up mm -hmm. but you can go all the way down to like Luxor or whatever and they did that they it was called Egyptian Thebes back then okay but the name Pelagi is alleged to come from the Greek Palazios or Pelasgos I don't know how they pronounce it back then the G sometimes uh it acts like a, a Y They're, it's called a gamma in Greek but it it acts like a Y or an H like if you see that word gyro well in Greek they'd say hero or euro and mm, so yes. Betham, yeah, they're so good. Right? So <laughs> Betham, <laughs> Betham offers uh, an etymological. So, anyways, Palazios or Palazgos, it meant storks, stork. So Palazgi are storks, and it would look like. Um, I'll just write it out for you real quick. So they're called the D Palagi or Palazi in um, in. Uh, in greek and that means the holy sailors and that's why i called my book the holy sailors because so it would look like this d that's like a plural so that's a di d uh plaz so when you see that oi in greek it um it, it, it's pronounced like E-E -E in English, like E. So D-Pelagi or Pelagi, Pelagi. 
So that means the holy sailors, and the reason this is significant is be, they, were, they were called that because they had the use of letters. So they're connected to the priests. And so this is like this, this is how the priests, the masons, and the navigators all blended with their guilds to be able to go all over the world building these cities and civilizing them. And so Betham offered that Celtic etymology, etymology for the word. So in like the ancient Irish and stuff. Be, and before, he said the before, we, before we go there, I just want to ask you about the storks. Like you're talking about the bird stork, right? Yeah, but on account of that, because they're like seabirds. So on account of them always coming and going, that's what the Greeks called the Phoenicians. So how is this connected to like when I was a kid, they used to say like, you know, the delivery, like you're delivered by a stork. I don't know. Is that just strictly a thing, European? Right? Like, is that just like a European saying? I mean, obviously it. I don't know because I, I've never I've never seen that idiom in another language or that like idea in another language. But just because it's, I mean, you got to remember like Europe, all of these places that we now call like Asia Minor and all that stuff. A lot of that was all these like Celtic cities, like even like the Greek. Um, the Greek language is like a blend of two different Celties, Ionian, if Ionian, so one of them would be the Scythians, uh, that, that Celtie, and then the other would be uh, Syriac, but I'm going to go into Syrian and all this stuff. It's part of the presentation, but as far as the storks pertaining to um, the sailors, it's just, it's like a seabird, just like pelicans, Okay. right? Pelagi, pelicans, mm -hmm. pe and and they interchange the B so that B and P are like Baal, the Lord. And that's what Baal means in um, Phoenician, Chaldean, Hebrew, means the Lord. So when you see B-A-A-L, B-O-L, doesn't B-L, B-E-L, there's a lot of ways to write that word, but mm -hmm. all, it's all the same meaning. So it could just be another, like a, a play on the Lords, but the fact that pelicans and um, storks are seabirds Mm -hmm. that's like why they call them i don't know about the delivery but think about it ships do sit in their berths right they they come and go mm -hmm. and then they enter their berths i Absolutely. bet it's related to that yeah i as couldn't a, prove that but it, it seems like it's related as a florida boy growing up in the 80s that was a very common thing you'd see everywhere it's like this the stork is delivering the baby wow yeah oh well, maybe there's maybe there is uh in my latest book um, I go into the fact that there was a general there, the Isthmus of America had a language that had an affinity to the Celtic or the Highland language, which is like the Irish and Scots, the language of the wild Scots and the Irish. Mm -hmm. And he was able to learn their language based on that affinity. And there were white Indians. Mm -hmm. And this has been found in Peru. There's however you get there, whether it was, um, like a one-time thing, whether people had the ability to interact with the Americas. That's what I'm kind of researching now because you see this stark contrast from the Mexicans down. They have civilization and the Indians in America from like North, like basically, you know, Gulf of Mexico up, they don't have as sophisticated as a civilization. When I say like, when I say Mexicans, there's accounts for the Spaniards at the markets in Mexico 
Some of them were bigger than any of the markets they'd seen at Rome or Constantinople. Mm -hmm. That's a big deal. Now, how are they so civilized? You see all this diffusion that it would be possible only through navigation. Right. Um, so while I can't prove that the Phoenicians are responsible yet, when you look at who is capable of navigation at that point, it's they're the only culture we know of. Here's some here's a little something for you to look into. I don't know if it's relevant. Right. But when I, first, when I first started getting into biochar, I was looking into the whole notion of terra preta down in South America. And what I does was, preta mean? Do you know what uh, preta, preta means uh, off the top of your head? I think something with earth. It I think preta is like burnt. Okay, burnt earth. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So terra preta was just another word. It was like a, it was a, it was a Spanish word for biochar. So essentially pyrolyzed carbon. So with terra preta, this, the accounts from the Spaniards that were going through the Amazon like 500 years ago was essentially mm -hmm. that the Amazonians were, had cultivated the land better than any other civilization that they'd seen and they said even in the east referring to the far east so like we all heard of the asians being able to you know grow rice patties on anything but the spanish were saying that they had never seen such incredible cultivation practices anywhere in the world other than the 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 amazonian basin and Do you they, know where i could find those Original accounts? Do you oh, have a source dude, for those? I looked it up. If you, like... if you, well, no pressure, but if you do ever figure that out, I would be very interested in like the, that old book. Wherever that's from, I would definitely cop that in a second. Well, I was so, reading this from articles about, I guess it was 13 or 14 years ago. Um, it's very well documented on YouTube. If you just put in Terra Preta, they had Franciscan monks and they had uh, the mm -hmm. Spanish conquistadors were, you know, writing everything down as they went through South America. And they talked about this, this cultivation practice. But what was crazy was it always like triggered my mind was that they were saying that they were able to cultivate the land better than anyone that they had seen in the world. And they had used this process of essentially chop and drop and then just charring all of this of the wood and then that's why when the amazonians left from one reason or another who knows what's historically true um when the rainforest came back and <laughs> had good soil to get into that's why it got so massive so i'll look into that from my side that's from interesting like, from the biochar side of it but there might be some relevance to you because this whole thing with the phoenicians if they are coming over to the Americas, it has to be only you have to have those navigation skills. Right. I also think oh, oh, this is might might interest you as well. I saw an account. I'm, I'm in this. I'm reading this book right now called Before Columbus, and this one gentleman cited someone who said the Asians actually used to have good maritime skills yes. until the sixth century, and then the Chinese Empire squashed all that. Mm -hmm. because they didn't want that interaction and they isolated themselves. So that also could be what, because uh, I've been following up this, uh, this lead that, and I don't see it personally, but this woman is claiming that this pottery from Japan, from like 
pre-common era is also similar to this pottery found in um, South America. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it. They don't look they don't look the same to me. I think it's a stretch, but it's it, what if it is, you know, I'm not an authority. So what if what if it is a similar technique, you know, like, right. Could that, that that could pottery could be an example of diffusion. Right. Mm-hmm. So like just people having flint knives on opposite ends of the world, that's not diffusion because it's like you need something sharp. You're going to go to rocks, mm-hmm. whatever. But if you see, you know, it's like if you find a a freaking a car, an automobile mm-hmm. on one side of the world and it, and then one in America, like somebody had to, you know, Henry Ford invented that. Somebody had to be connected to that. They got that either through a spy, through some. Bro, you know, maybe I just got gift. chills. I got chills. Check it out. Bamboo. Follow bamboo. Because all the techniques in Asia for bamboo somehow, some way got its way over to South America. The bambooistas in Peru, the bambooistas in, in Colombia, they, they like literally, I don't know when, I've never looked up the history of, of bamboo cultivation, but the masters of bamboo are either in Asia or in South America. I'm also interested in that. If, if you get it, if you come across anything like that, that, it, that can prove one way or another where bamboo originates and if it's exclusive to one continent, the other thing is sweet potatoes, because I've come across um, accounts from I think the early 1800s that a staple in the diet of people in uh, China in this one village, or some it might have been like Laos, it was might have been Southeast Asia somewhere over there. Um, he was saying that there's a staple in their diet was they lived off of sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, how long have they been living off of sweet potatoes if they're from Peru? And the Chinese can't go through that, you know, so like at the earliest it came from, you know, like the 15th century, right? 16th century. Right. Or is it been there for a longer time than the status quo is willing to admit? I think much longer. I I don't know. I don't have the answer, but I think it's worth looking into. It's just not, um, it's not my expertise, but Mm -hmm. you, somebody who's into farming and agriculture Mm -hmm. and all these building techniques, you may come across a massive key that another person would not ever be able to recognize because you have that experience. And well, what's say, oh, why are they using biochar in, in the Amazon? And, you know, they happen to have a biochar practice in the island of Java in Indonesia. How are they both getting there? When, who had what? You know what I mean? And then you right. have to trace back one of the earliest accounts, you know, like, but those are the little keys that can like, when language fails, when architecture fails, when mm-hmm. everything else fails, those little things are going to be crucial. Yeah, and it's very interesting too because when I f- was first getting into bamboo, the whole all the things that we were doing in Central America were all Japanese and Chinese techniques. Like in curing the bamboo and like how to char, once again we had to char the ends of it so that the, the no more it wouldn't uptake moisture. So, I I'm very, very interested in, I, I, my opinion, and I'll put it out there as an opinion, I really do think that there was absolutely transcontinental trans, transport, like there would have to be. Yeah, and so if that's the case, 
then we have to take consider like was that because the oceans were smaller back then you know like what what was the landscape like and there's all kinds of ways that you know if we look at it like today we, it might seem impossible to us but if you go back and the oceans hadn't been as high and the land there's more land back then then it might not be as an impossible of a feat as we would think you know like how did everybody get to australia how did everybody get like look all those islands look at mm -hmm. some of the stuff you see in easter island you know like look at the Samoans and all that stuff there there there's got to be a timeline for this but even looking at like the Mexicans and like the Aztecs they're common era too like they don't even go down to Mexico till like the 1200s mm -hmm. like what we think we know about the Americas is is relatively new and because the Spanish destroyed so much of the Mexican paintings that they encoded their history in it 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 screws everybody so now we have to um, look at other means like these mm -hmm. little keys, right? So right. back, so back to those storks, right? Mm -hmm. So I gave you a Greek etymology possibility. It's not for sure, but Betham said the discovery of the means of navigating by night induced these navigators to assume the honorable names of Pelagi or Pelasgi or Pelargi, um, or people who had so far advanced in the science of navigation as to be able to proceed by night as well as by day. Hmm. This discovery is celebrated in the Yugubian tables in which if the tables refer to Etruscan or Etruscan voyage, I call them Etruscan just because the C, the SC in Latin is pronounced like an SH. So it's like hard for me to like reverse that. And since Latin comes from them, I, I just assume it's Etruscan, but it mm -hmm. could be Etruscan. Um, if the table refers to the Etruscan voyagers, they are called Puni or Phoenicians, and much exultation is expressed on the occasion of the wonderful discovery. Both words have the same import. Now he uses Celtic. He, so for Palazgi or Palargi, he says, Bay, night, las, light, gi, people. So the first one would be Belazgi. Mm. The second one he says would be Bay, night, la, day, are, steering, gi, G-O-I, people. This is Celtic now. That is navigators by night and day, Palargi or Belargi. The letter P is used in more ancient tables for B, but it is scarcely necessary to make use of the arguments where the analogy is so very close. And by the way, when I say tables, like an old like researcher like that, from like the 19th centuries and early, they, the table when they say tables, they mean tablets. Like that's what they called them back then. So it would be tablets for us. Mm -hmm. uh, the Pelasgi were but Phoenician mariners who were to be found not only in Greece, but everywhere a ship could approach the coasts of the Mediterranean. Like the English of the present day, their operations were different in different localities. In some, they had only factories, but where they found an eligible position and encouraging circumstances, they settled colonies as in Italy, Gaul, and the British islands. Each nation, having received these allegories with their civilization from the Phoenicians, fabricated systems upon them, according to the fancies of their leading hierophants. The hierophant is somebody, it translates as a sacred revealer, right? Mm -hmm. He's the high priest. Every addition increasing the aberration and variance until the multiplied conceits and fancies of the human mind had formed the intricate, fabulous, and absurd systems of mythology spread over the face of the earth by priests and by poets each assisting to fabricate the wonderful legends of the numerous volumes of the Acta Deorum, which is the act of the God, acts of the gods. And so this is, people who are familiar with my work, I show how the Greeks, now to be fair, 
it might not be the Greek. But as far it like, and what I mean by that, it could be the church doing all of the farrago, reassigning everything, but doing so in Greek to make it look like the Greek. So it might not have actually been the Greek people that did this. However, as it stands now, if it were a people, the Greek basically took the Phoenician mythology. If you look at the Etruscan mythology, it's all Phoenician. Even um, like Minerva, right? That's going to be Phoenician and Etruscan. And so the Latins kept that, but the Greeks had um, Athena. And in Celtic, Athena literally means from Thena. And Thena or Tinia is the Phoenician god. And so when you have Minerva springing up from Tinia's head, that's what it means, Athena, from Thena. So the Greeks have Athena. So you can see that they take everything and they, they take the Phoenician names and then they switch it around. Like, for example, you have a country like Spania, Spania, Spain, that literally meant the land of rabbits or conies, which is an archaic name for rabbits, vermin, because it was infested with rabbits when they got there. Mm -hmm. So much so that there's even accounts of um, them appealing to the Roman Empire to send soldiers over there to destroy the rabbits so they can civilize it. So you have all these places. Well, then once the Greeks take over, they change that and they say, no, Spain is named after Pan, that god, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they do all kinds of things like that. And we, as a result, go from having a mythology where the gods are all like these benevolent um, things that are like kind of like teachers to us. to now the gods are like these like crazy, vindictive freak shows that do all kinds of horrible shit to people. <laughs> And so that all happens with the Greeks. Not only that, you have a different, the, the planets all have different names going up to the second century BC. Then you have the Greeks changing the names of the planets and they changed it into their old, like old sun gods. They assigned it to every, like if you were to even look at like the moon of Jupiter, yo, right? That's an old name for Jupiter. But mm. now it's Jupiter's moon. Some people say Io or Eo, but it's yo. Right. And that that is the first two letters of Tetragrammaton. We'll get into that if we want. But um, basically, there's confusion that's sown by people who speak on these subjects because they don't know how to syncretize words like Phoenicians, Punic. How many times have you heard people not know the or maybe not if you've never if people don't really talk about this that much. But I've heard a lot of people confuse like Punic, Phoenician. They say it like it's different things. So what I wanted to do is give you a quick rundown and how the same word looks different in uh, different languages. Mm -hmm. So you have uh, this gentleman from, he was, he was British born, but he lived in Ireland. His name's Valency. And he know this is like the 1600s or 1700s. He noted that the, the Irish had like two uh, alphabets. They had the Bobaloth and it's just named after the first like couple letters. They had the Bobaloth, which is a profane alphabet of the Irish Druids. And that was similar to Punic or Phoenician. But then Higgins thought the Irish language Beth Louis Neon came by Gaul through Britain to Ireland while the Bobolov came to Ireland through the Straits of Gibraltar. But both are similar enough to be the same system. And according to Monsignor Gebelin, the Carthaginian, or which is also called the Sicilian Phoenician, and the Basque, which is the Spanish, called the Spanish Phoenician, they're the exact same alphabets. So it doesn't matter how they came, through, whether it's through Gaul, Gaul by land or around Strait of Gibraltar, they're both the same alphabets. Mm -hmm. So what I want to do is um, I'm going to write a word 
I don't know if you recall the, one of the quotes I just re read, but I'm not going to tell you right away, but you'll see it after this. I'm going to write it in three different languages. You tell me which language looks the oldest, and then I'll tell you what it means, if you, see if you can figure it out. Okay. Which one of those looks the oldest to you? If you had to guess. No pressure. I, I would have to say the top. The top okay. looks the oldest to me because it's the it's almost the simplest of them. And my mind just goes, whatever's the simplest is the oldest. And that's that's practicality. So that's not true. I tricked you. This is the attrition. This is the Phoenician. And this is Hebrew. Yeah. So this is P, Pe. This is Vav, to be like a U. This is Nun, to be like an N. And this is the Yod, which is like an I. So it would look like Huni. Now, if you recall that quote, remember he said in the, the tables, they call, if he said, if it refers to the Etrusians, they were Puni. Well, this Puni refers to things that are purple, whether it's mead, whether it's uh, togas or like cloaks, mm -hmm. it'll have that root in it. So in Latin, it's called pony, right? So that ligature, that O-E ligature, I-N-I. Uh, and then in Greek, it would be uh, by uh, pony. Right, but then they add the ke or the so this this uh, eta. Remember how in your name it looks like an h, but it acts sometimes like an i. So it'd be finicky, finicky, finicky. Right? Remember Finish. we were saying in the beginning, yeah. pin punny, punny, puny, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. But it's all purple. They're purple, but it's phony. It's all the same. Now that P and F interchange, right? So when you look at like something like that, this P right here, that's a P or an F. And they had to create the vowel system to tell, show people whether or not they'd have to pronounce that. So sometimes you'll see it, it's like Pharaoh, P-H. Sometimes it's like an uh, P, hard P. So you have, you already pretty much guessed it. So you have Pony or Puni. Which is how the Ireland's Irish pronounced Phoenicians, which was Fenni, Fennians, so Fennian law. So to call somebody puny was that like a derogatory? Like, can we look at that as like a? Nope, it's just the word purple. And so what I suspect is who's able to wear purple? Royalty. Royalty, yeah. So. So if you look at this, it's going to get, this is where it gets kind of interesting. So the P in Phoenician looks like that. Um, the P in a true, uh, sorry, excuse me. I just missed this up. The R in Phoenician, the resh. So in, in Hebrew, it would look like uh, this. It almost looks like a right angle. In Phoenician, it's, uh, I'll, I'll label it Phoenician. 
that would be um, an R. In a Trurian, it looks like this. It looks kind of like a D with a little bit. So that's Trurian. Sorry, I'm having trouble writing with this. And then in Greek, the R looks like a P, RP. It's called Rho, Greek. So Punic, in an occult way, is runic. That's R. So then you have the word rune is, is runo, which looks like this. They, their R actually looks like an R. Um, that's an N. And then their O is like that. Now, that looks interesting. Norse. It is Norse. Mm hmm. That's what I'm saying. The, the and keep in mind the runes are not um, they're not a language. They are an alphabet. Mm -hmm. The language is going to be like a more Germanic, but it's to show people that when when you see these all these interchange, right? Even the Fenians, right? Feni. Well, the the vav, which is like a W, right? Vav, or Wow, it's sometimes in Phoenician they spell it like that. It, it it looks like a Y, right? But it acts like an F, a U, a V, a Y, or a W. And so you have in the Norse runes, their P is a W. Onja, that's what it's called. And um so it all circles back to Punic because if you were to even write Punic with that, the W is also the F, Fenian. It's all the same root. And so that that also acts like a V, and then you get Venetians. Mm -hmm. But it's the same word, all stemming from Puni, which is purple. Mm. So I just showed you that in like what six, seven different alphabets because going back to the De Pelagi, the holy mm. sailors, they were called so because of the use of letters. And where does this come from? I don't know for sure, but it looks like they came out of whatever Egypt was. And the reason I don't know what Egypt is, is because I think the Rosetta Stone is forgery because there's three of them and i didn't know this until fairly recently in my life the rosetta stones and all of them go from egyptian hieroglyphs to greek mm -hmm. they don't translate them in phoenician or any older languages and my question would be why and i think because the hieroglyphs are greek they are not as old as the old structures if the structures are legitimate i think Whatever Egypt was, is we have no idea. And all the stories we think we know, we have no idea because it's all based on all these Greek stuff, all these Greek uh, symbols and all these Greek hieroglyphs, right? Even hieroglyph, hier that's Greek, hiero, right. sacred. So you know, this is where it gets, go ahead. With that, so my teacher uh, in geopolymers, Dr. Davidovitz from France, mm -hmm. Um, he That's was something I'm interested in. He was he was kicked out of Egypt, I think, in the late 70s by Zarari Hawass, because 
after he did the testing of the, he was on the uh, Giza Plateau and he tested all three of the, the, the great pyramids there. And he essentially figured out exactly how they made them, how they cast, how they cast the stone. Really? And, yeah. And he was adamant <laughs> that the the timelines that they were giving for that were total bs like complete bs do you know if he thinks the the pyramids are a lot younger than they claim he or said you think they're older or in, you know? in class you know he was kind of bitter about the whole thing i mean he ended up making a ton of money selling the the geopolymer tech to militaries he because he was speaking in broken English, he's a Frenchman trying to speak English. Um, he made it seem like it was younger, like it wasn't. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, he. You know why? The, there is some precision cuts in it. How are they getting these precision cuts? Wouldn't somebody leave tools behind? Wouldn't there be any type of account? Yeah, well, he he was like pretty adamant that you could do everything that they did there. Uh, like the technology that they had when it came to to moving materials, like his his explanation of why each pyramid got smaller and smaller and smaller was because they had to burn a certain amount of the forest to get the fly ash that was needed to mix with the oh. with the calcium bentonite clay. So every time they built a pyramid, the forest got further away. <laughs> Wait, do you, do you think that would be like what they're seeing? You know, have you seen how some people point like at the, the nature of the stone and say, oh, it looks like it's burnt. So this means there was an ancient cataclysm. Do you think maybe that's what they're looking at and they don't realize that they're looking at the burnt char mixed well, with that stuff? For a geopolymer to set as well as it set, it, obviously those buildings, even if they are younger than they think, let's just say it's a thousand year old building. Let's say that. Mm -hmm. For geopolymers to really set well, you need to heat them. So you have all these people that talk about the pyramids as being machines, which I think they are. What the, what the machine actually was I'm not, I'm not certain on, but I can understand from a geopolymer perspective how the, why the casing stones were dark was because the casing stones being dark would actually absorb heat from the outside. And when you look at the cross section of, of the, the inside of the, of the building, it looks like a huge rocket mass heater to me. So I think as they were building it, they were using the heat from the from the sun to bake the outside casing stones, and then they were setting fires internally to bake it from the outside in, or from the inside Interesting. out. So you had two heat sources going because when you see like I forget all the names of the different tunnels and how they actually have the different. There's a spiral. Um, they've they've now shown the new spiral uh, flu. <laughs> I call it a flu because that's exactly the way you would do like it. What else is it that's the way you would do it if you needed to heat the top. Like if it, as you got higher and higher in the building and your mass is getting smaller yeah. and smaller, 
but yet you're you're further you're furthest away from your fire it's exactly the way i would build a rocket mass heater <laughs> you'd have the heat going and you spiral it i mean i've actually done that with rocket mass heaters and then that all that heat gets distributed evenly and so I think they cooked it from inside out, not to say that that's what they were doing the entire life cycle of the building of the machine, but I really think that that's the way they were able to set those apart. The reason why a lot of geopolymers that people make nowadays aren't as nearly as sturdy as what the Romans did, isn't nearly as sturdy as what the, you know, we're calling them so-called Egyptians did is that nobody heats their geopolymers anymore. And my teacher in, in Super Adobe, it was the same thing. Like he, the, whole, the whole thing with building a building out of earth, he, he was like, okay, now, let, now let's set it on fire like a piece of pottery. <laughs> so he would burn these. You know, that's earth. really interesting. And, and, and why not? Like, it, like if, if you can, if people can do that, it's gotta be on the table. And so my thing is like, everything has to be on the table until something gives way. But the longer nothing gives way and people can't replicate it or figure it out, the more inclined I am to be suspicious that maybe this shit is fucking, it's all fake. Like not fake, like it's real, but like it's not as old. And well, it, it, since 1978 or 79, he was able to replicate it perfectly. The thing yeah. is, the common folk do doesn't know about it because one, he's a very eccentric Frenchman. <laughs> is and, there like video or anything like, oh, or yeah. like photos? Like, uh, can I find that online or is it yeah. kind of like more private stuff? No, no. Cool. Can, I, can you can you like spell that out for or maybe text me? I'll uh, I'll ask you in like an yeah, email or a text. I'll, I'll send it all to you. But his name is Dr. Davidovitz. Davidovitz. Joseph Davidovitz, D, it's David Ovitz. And then, um, yeah, he runs the Geopolymer Institute in Saint Michel, France. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. Yeah. Um, well, so like one of the things that's also interesting, so, you know, this is the other thing that people have to account for is Egypt was not called Egypt and Egyptians were not called Egyptians. Right. So we don't really know anything, even like the Phoenician and the Etruscan, Etruscan, what's left from them. Right. Like they the stuff that they thought was ancient Greek from like the Marsiliana tablets, the um, Pomela and then the Kaida, uh, Kaide, they these all ended up being that they used to say was ancient Greek. It turns out they were Etruscan. And the reason they said they were Greek is because they do have the same letters of the Greek alphabet at the time. But everybody knows that the same the letters that the Greeks got from Cadmus, the 17 letters, and I'm not saying Cadmus is real. That story kind of looks like astrotheology to me, but it dates around 500 BC. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of this is just not really syncing up chronologically. And people have had to concede that um, the stuff that they're finding in Italy isn't actually Greek. It's and so like what they're saying is the oldest abacadarium or alphabet from the Greeks or the Etruscan, it's the same freaking artifact. So there's a, there's total inversion. When you start really looking at what they can know, they don't have enough evidence to know and they're just guessing. It's like a very thin veneer of professionalism and underneath it, it is totally unprofessional. And one of the things that has plagued, you know, any progress in this is people say Phoenicians are Jews or Semites. And they are not. 
And the Hebrew, though it takes its alphabet from the Phoenician, it has no affinity to it. And so this quote that I want to read you from Betham, he had this to say about the Phoenician and the Hebrew. He said, it has been said that this language was Hebrew or had a strong affinity to it, but the best Hebraists have tested it without success for the results have not enlightened the world. The few existing translations through the Hebrew are scarcely vouched for by their authors. If the Hebrew and Phoenician were sister tongues, the affinity would be palpable and universal, not confined to a few words or sentences. The Hebrew has been preserved without change with the greatest care and, exi and, exi and uh, anxiety, yeah, and therefore ought to be found identical, if at all akin to the Phoenician. The Celto-Etrusian has not only an affinity, but its similarity is almost universally applicable to every Phoenician and Etrusian inscription to which it has been applied and it is therefore the true key, every division of which fits the words and opens the long hidden treasure to our view. And the reason this is important is because you see words like Sean in uh, Irish and stuff like that, Shankus, according to O'Reilly's Irish dictionary, and it's another word for the sun, it constitutes both in name and matter the original laws of Ireland. And they are sometimes called Fenicus because they regulated the Fenians, which are the Phoenicians and their colonies. It was the foundation of the knowledge of the tribes of Eden and points out their origin for the Edenaks, which are Irish, derived their name from Phineas Farsaid. Phineas, it means the mariner or the prow of a ship. Mm. And so this is why I'm saying like you have this, this possible um, idea that the, the Etruscans called themselves Puni, P-U-N-I. You have the Fenians, which Feni, you know, Fenicus and all that stuff, meaning the prow of the ship or navigator. You have all this stuff. And then where I, where I go deep into my book, I'm not going to do that here because it's too, it's too complicated. But like, oh, I got it in the background. <laughs> what am I, doing? I go deep into the language of Britain and it is literally all based on Phoenician. And there's Greek in it and there's other stuff, but it doesn't come in till later. And all the names, everything. And so the Irish also do that B and P interchange mm -hmm. that the Palagi did or the Phoenicians did. Mm -hmm. And so now we have both the Feni and the Puni relating to a mariner and things of purple or royal. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering what if they're not a culture, but it's another word for the royalty, the priests. Mm -hmm. Could be, might not be, I don't know. But Betham wrote that the, the Shankus was also called uh, the Phenicus, right? Because the Irish derived their knowledge of it from their ancestors. That's the Phoenician laws. Phoenicians or Phoenicians, Phoenicians with an F or PH, right? And that OE ligature is interchangeable with the E. It's interchangeable with the U, um, et cetera. And of whom they were a colony. He says, can any evidence be more direct and conclusive? We find the language and traditions of Ireland in perfect accordance with the statements of the Roman writers and all extraneous testimony. And um, like I said earlier, I alluded to this with Higgins. He claimed that the Greek language was a child of circumstance composed from the Celti, the Ionians, if they weren't exactly the same, the Pelagi. And the reason Ionians is interesting is because Ionians, that root I-O-N-I -I, is also Yoni, which could mm. be Indian. Mm -hmm. The Pelagi from Phoenicia, 
uh, a second race of Kelti called the Scythians, and he says, of which 16 letters were common to all. Now, the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, had two known alphabets. They had that Pelagic, which is that also uh, the Attic, the Argive, or the uh, Arcadian alphabet. And Higgins thinks that was the same as Etruscan. And he, he says it's brought out of Arcadia into Latium, which is formerly uh, in uh, Italy, by Evander. And the other was called Ionian or Ionian, which is Phoenician, Cadmian, or Aeolian. But he says they appear to have been the same in terms of radicals. And Davies wrote, they do not seem to have augmented the number of letters. Only 16 are ascribed to Cadmus. The same number as claimed by the old Latins, by the old Germans, by the old Irish, and by the British bards. So clearly, these are Europeans, right? Mm -hmm. when, when you ask me what's European, whoever's on the continent of Europe, and that's, I don't really even like the term Gaul, because even being Gaul is like Gaulish. It's predicated on being a descendant from Gomer, and it all stems, all the shit stems from the mosaic history, and mm -hmm. Noah, and all that stuff, and being descended from all these characters in the scriptures. And I, my work shows that that's at, the scriptures are not historical. Uh, and there's nothing about them that's historical. Once you understand that ancient universal system, that's, a, that's what my series explores mm -hmm. and, and, and gets the reader to upgrade their knowledge. And so they can, when they see this system in the names, the places, um, all that, and they start seeing the astrotheology in the stories, they know that they might not be looking at real history, but something right. written, encoding it. Um, so what's what's really kind of cool with this whole take on purple is that um, a few months ago I was I was watching this YouTube channel Old World Florida. Have you seen that with Dr. Narco Longo at all? Have you looked at any of his work? I watched. Yeah, it's it's come across my desk. I've seen him on a couple podcasts. Well, we did a podcast together and I contacted him directly because where I was living in Costa Rica was world renowned for, there's a crab there where you can get this purple, this royal purple from its blood. And when I was living in Costa, they kept talking about how the Mayans were, or the whoever the precursor to the Mayans were would travel from from the Colombia area up through Central America to get to the Mexico Yucatan area and they would stop in Costa Rica essentially just for this for this for this purple and so he was talking about how this the he was on the thread of the horseshoe crab in Florida being the source of this purple and how whoever the whoever like his his hypothesis is that the phoenicians the origin of the phoenicians is from uh helsinki it's from all the way up in the northern part of of europe in finland hence the name phoenician <laughs> he's he's definitely not as precise as you are and in any way shape or form he's doing more of like so with that claim the only thing i would say is like the oldest um the oldest like rune runestone is only from like 1200 AD. So the, the, my, my problem with that, I'm not saying that there's not ancient culture there, but just right. in terms of the system that we're talking about, right. there's no, there's no antiquity that we can rely on with artifacts or anything to support well, that. But if something comes up, I'm happy to look at it. You know what I mean? Like I'm not attached to anything, but that would be my, 
you know, even like the oldest uh, inscription of Odin that just came out uh, a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. it's from a gold hoard. It dates to about 500 AD. So it's okay. not even like the oldest. It's just not an ancient. Um, and cool. And where are they getting the forest? You know, where are they getting I'm, the forest to build the exactly the I, exactly. I'm down with all that. Where what I was looking at, what really struck me is as a Floridian was learning about the gulf stream like as a kid growing up like you know doing deep sea fishing and the whole thing like when you're a south floridian and you're deep sea fishing you know all about the gulf stream and how the gulf stream would go up to europe and so there was always this connection like if you were ever needed to ride ride a stream of water from one continent to another like to get if the Phoenicians isn't ever, that why they're all landing over in Florida and stuff? Yeah, because the water just naturally like takes you down there or something. It's, it's, a, it's going up. It, it's going up, right? It's a perfect channel. So it, literally, right off of where I lived in Fort Lauderdale, it's like the the Gulf Stream goes due northeast, straight towards the the um, British Isles. And then it goes north of that and it goes up towards uh, Norway and then up into Finland. And that's actually so, what that's what keeps Europe from freezing over is all the hot water from the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so one of the things that uh, I, I would be interested in if you were to chart that, have you ever seen like the effect that water that's uh, has saline it's salted water with magnets i've like seen it's it totally affected but so do you, do you so this is what i think you know how they lied to us and said that the moon causes the tides but it doesn't have any effect on like the the great lakes or anything Mm-mm. do you think that maybe that's basic based on the pa- the ecliptic of the sun and that's what's causing that flow because what's interesting is on uh the west coast it all comes from the opposite end the, the ocean down in california is freezing cold because it's all coming yeah. from the north it's exact opposite i'd be interested to know if that's related to the sun as well i think it's i think it's actually engineered i had this i had this crazy crazy epiphany i'm i'm one of these weird people that thinks like only like the i won't say engineered by who man i don't know i don't know but it's let's when i say engineered let me be specific it isn't nature that did it. It's it it's way 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 too like especially if we're going to stay on this Phoenician tip, and we're going to say okay the Phoenicians are from wherever they were in Europe. There's this perfect channel of water for them to get down to the Caribbean essentially, and if they're all wearing purple, there's no source of this purple anywhere in Europe. That's the claim. Like you can't, there's no purple dye in Europe that gives you royal purple. But yet, if you take that long- They're getting it from the the, uh, shells in Libya. Uh, Not Libya, um, Lebanon. Oh, so so there's another source? in yeah North Africa? the sea the, no but it's the same thing like uh no it's in it's in the it's in uh, like uh uh modern day lebanon so it's like on the east coast of the mediterranean the with, east, with all the cedar yeah. wood uh it's it's the same thing though like you know how you said it's crabs well instead of crabs it's the shell of uh 
these like snails or something. Uh-huh. And the reason it was expensive is because you had to kill so many of them right. just to and grind up the shell just to get a small amount of dye that only the royals could afford it. So let's, if you look at the just oh go ahead, go ahead. So look at it. So they're going over to Lebanon. Okay. They're going down to Florida. They're going down to the Caribbean. For whatever reason, you could say, like, the one thing I know about the uber, uber wealthy people I know, they're always looking for what's rare. What's the one thing that the common person can't have? And I think that's why there's such a disdain for the, the class, the, the, the rich versus the bourgeoisie is that the rich today, they're so angry because you can be a middle-class person and live almost the same exact life that they do. Yeah, they, you know what you're doing. They think they're special. And they're like, the way they used to be able to do it in a more materialist paradigm is like, look, I'm wearing purple, m and Ain't no one else going to be wearing this purple velvet, y'all. I'm wearing the oh, purple. That's what I was going to say in the Justinian code. The, if you got caught selling that Syrian purple or wearing it and you weren't royalty, death in right. the Justinian code in Rome. So this makes so much sense to me that because there's something about an, an ego that needs to, that for whatever reason, the soul and the ego have conspired to be at the top of the pyramid. In their in that consciousness, they think they are special. And what makes them special is the rarity. Like, what is rare? What do I have that no one else has? And that seems it's so funny to say that this color of royal purple is is that it's like the common denominator in all these stories that I'm hearing is this royal purple. I mean, the Mayans. And I just want to be real clear, real clear. I'm not making the claim that the Phoenicians did get to America. I'm just, I am making the case of all the things that uh, it's impossible for them to not be interconnected. So maybe it wasn't the Phoenicians and maybe the Mexicans at some point, or maybe they were the ones traveling. I don't know. But without the art of navigation, how are you getting to said distances and then getting back? Because you need to be able to chart the stars, you know? You're, you're so, the professional in all this, but I'm the, I'm the amateur. No, no, I just want to make sure I'll, I'm I'll not, I'm just, claim, I don't want to claim it without inscriptions. I'm making the claim. It's yeah. Just, okay. No, I, I know. I'm making the claim because there's just too much common sense in all this. Mm-hmm. There's it, this. It does become mathematically impossible for them to have these same religious rites, these same mythologies, right. uh, these same similarities in language. I mean, I agree. I like it, it is. I just don't know if it was the Phoenicians. Plus, Could have been someone else. Plus, I also think that there's like a fractal nature to time. So even like in growing up in Florida, who who was always in South Florida when I was growing up? All the Scandinavian people were always coming down. All my first clients, you know, in like in all these re, like uh, these condos were like all like Norwegian or or um, God, there was so much Swedish and Finnish and Danish, like they were all Scandinavian and they would like literally live in Florida like snowbirds. 
like the, like the pelicans, like they were coming down. <laughs> and there's there's DNA evidence, and so, and I'm not big on DNA. I'm not. I'm there's there's stuff that I'm not big on, but there is evidence to support. Like there are uh, Scandinavian-looking people in South America that yes. have no history of coming over here in any recent times, right? Like, so what they with the status quo, the way they explain that is, oh, when the Phoenician Empire was collapsing, they just got on a ship and got the hell out of there for fleeing for their lives. And that's where they landed in South America. And that's how they got there. Right. So right. it was like a one-time thing. And that could be true as well. Right. So like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not saying like Asians weren't able to get from Island and Island, whatever, and finally end up in America. But what I'm saying is the ability to get back and forth and know how to triangulate. So you don't get lost mm -hmm. because once you pass the equator, you don't see those stars in the North anymore. Now you have a whole new sky to deal with, right? It's real easy to get turned around and off your reckoning or whatever they call it. Yeah. So it's reckoning. like, yeah. And the people that I know, I know, I know of people that have um, sailed around the world and they said shit does not uh, add up once you get to a certain point South. It's not, it's not as easy to, even with like uh, modern instruments. You know, there was a Royal class uh, when I, when I was in, India, the subcontinent of, or the continent of India, subcontinent, I don't mm -hmm. know what the technical <laughs> reference was, but there was a class of, uh, in the south of India, in the province of Tamil Nadu, there was a, a lore of, about the purple people, and you could actually see some of the, the color, they were, they were darker than a lot of like that the African blacks and a lot of the Caribbean blacks that I, that I grew up with, they, they, they had like almost like, you know, when light hits an oyster and you can kind of see a, the shimmer of all these different blues and purples. Yeah. yeah. Like a hue like that. These women had that. They were so dark and the sun would hit them and you would just see like this, like purple. And it, that really like rang a, a bell for me because I remember, and I don't know how true any of this is when it comes to the Nazi cosmology, but apparently they were like going down to India looking for the original Aryan race, like looking for the, do you have any idea what that was? The, what are the Aryans? Well, the, the thing that is interesting is on that coin of, um, Odin, there is the, the swastika, and that is a cross uh, of a of a deity um, of the sun, mm -hmm. and he's depicted also with a lion, which is another symbol of the sun. Like if you look at lion, you look at Elion in Hebrew means right. most high God, so God the most high. I mean, and that's it's a, it's a sun symbol, um, but and and you can see where it crosses. It's at the cardinal cross, right? It's not yeah. planted. It's it's like up and down. So you know it's crossing from the equinoxes and mm -hmm. the solstices. So airy, so that's where if you want, you I don't know that it's reckoned from Aries or Arian, but Aries was a it was like a Greek version of Mars and going to Egypt, Eres is the sun. Um so well, I there don't are a lot know. more lions in India than there were in Europe. <laughs> yeah. Well well however they say that the lions um They've like been decreased by like 90%. So we don't really know their original habitat because they were everywhere. Like 
if you look at um if you look at like north africa uh there's a a Phoenician city that was called Lysus, named after lion, L-I-S. You can see, mm-hmm. but I think I have notes on this, but um, there was tons of lions there. And so is that place still infested with lions? No, because everywhere man goes, they have to neutralize everything that's a threat. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you see that's interesting is the same symbolism, the sun symbolism in Mexico, they'll use with the jaguar. But what's interesting is if you look at lions, especially when they're young, they do have the Jaguar stuff like patterns. It's just really faint. Mm. So you can see that there is like these phenotypes. I think this is another thing that's really interesting because a lot of people get upset. Well, like, where's my ancient culture? And it's like, well, here's the deal. Everybody comes from an ancient bloodline. You're here. Mm-hmm. Every phenotype, you have never once in the history of mankind witnessed somebody changed phenotypes just by relocating, meaning you don't see Spaniards going to Mexico or whatever in Americas in the 1500s, 1400s, and then their ancestors after a few hundred years start developing copper skin. The only time a phenotype changes is through actual blood mixing, right? Procreation. Mm-hmm. So these phenotypes, it follows logically, have been here all along and have been separate in their own ways all along. Yes, there are some that are mixed because they're they're where the cultures meet, right? So like, have you ever seen like in like, like Russia, they start looking like, even though they're white, they start kind of looking like Asian a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something to be mindful of. And that's so like, and I'm not a big on like the people, like the status quo that says we evolved from like a, a single origin. Uh, Cause I don't, I just think the land makes us or the creation, whatever. We are made to look a certain way based on wherever that is. Right. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I'm just saying nobody's shown me anyone changing phenotypes in the history of the world. And there's no culture with the history. If you look at all the mythoses, there's nobody saying, hey, we used to be this dark race, but then we went up north and became this white race. Or we used to be this light race from the uh, wilderness. We went over to this desert and now we turned into a dark race. Right. It's never happened. It's not in anybody's mythology. So to me, I think these races have always been here. Um, obviously, except for the ones that go extinct or whatever else, you know, I would agree because I've been all over the world and I've met people that were entrenched as as a foreigner in those lands. And it did not matter. <laughs> they would <laughs> like their their progeny did not change. You know, their progeny looked exactly like they did. You know, and it, it didn't matter how sunburned they got or whatever, or, you know, the darkest black guys I knew, like living up in Michigan, it wasn't like they got white from like moving from South Florida to Michigan. Like, no, you, yep. you are what you are. And uh, I love the saying that there is no magic dirt. <laughs> like the dirt doesn't yep. make you like you. Or maybe the dirt is all magic and that, you know, it's like maybe everything's like a magical uh program so like when whatever you whatever program you run that's what's going to manifest physically i don't know you know i did i have seen this one the one thing that changes the morphology of people more than anything is diet so i could i could see where if you're in a very specific area and like you have no cultural remnant from your past, from let's say your genetic lineage, and you're fully 
within the, the dietary confines of that specific area. I've seen, I've seen people go from like being a mesomorph to an ectomorph. Like I, I, I have seen okay. that. And yeah, there does seem to be like, uh, if you're in crowded areas, you grow taller to compete or right. something like that. Whereas like people who are on islands are still really short or something. Cause there's nothing to compete with. Yeah. I can see that. So there, there is that. And I could see over multiple generations and multiple generations. I, I had seen this study in the nineties where they looked at, and I'm with you about DNA. So I'll take this with a grain of salt. They were mm -hmm. looking at the, um, they did a study in the British Isles from 1980 to 1990 on uh, contraception and very soon, like within a year of doing a study on 10,000 women on contraception, they had to change the, the study parameters because so many women were uh, cheating because this was 10,000 women in monogamous relationships Shocking. that had that had contraception. And so they they flipped the study to being what what makes women actually conceive? Like, what is it? that who do women conceive with? And if their data was correct after 10 years from 1980 to 1990, they said if, if their, their little subsection of the populace was a, was a small sample that you could extrapolate out to the entire populace, over half of the people in England after World War II came from a different father. That's, uh, yeah. So what would change morphology more than anything? <laughs> so you go, because I've seen this too in life. I've seen like, hey, that kid doesn't look anything like the dad. Cuckoldry is a thing, people. <laughs> And it's a, just not, not, to, not to insult England because we're just we're worse, but England has the highest rate of single moms in the world. I think it's at like 21% of their population is single moms. And the only one that beats them is America. 23 or 24% of all women in America are single moms. So check it out. It's like the, the dad is no like, who's the dad? Like, <laughs> that's the new board game. Like, who's Papa? So I could see you know, you're the Phoenicians, you're the, these mariners, you're wearing purple. You're like, you, you guys are the rock stars, right? You pull up to port, you know, over like a few generations, people start to look like you. Yeah, that, I could see that. Imagine could, you know, that. If that's, if that's indeed happening, especially if like, you know, you got to think like back then, that's the masculine endeavor. Like people were masculine anyways back then, but like, you're going to places that like no one's ever been before. Like just like looking at how like they just go and like they have to stop at like random islands and try to get water. Like just the, the uncertainty and the courage that you have to have to live that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I can't even conceive of it. You know, it's like, oh, dude, it's the closest thing that I can conceive of is the days before like map quests and Google and all. remember like when it's like. <laughs> You act, the world used to be so fucking big and it's like, holy shit. Now everything's so you can put it in a phone and they'll tell you where to go. I completely experienced being like 
in in the we call them the campesinos like being in a campesinos house somebody a, a man that had eight daughters and he was like trying to like pawn his daughters off and like me being this innocent gringo you know blue eyed you know blonde hair like coveted there and him being like literally like offering a daughter to me because in his mind is like hey if my daughter gets with him even if he doesn't marry him if he has a kid with this with if she has a kid with him no matter what my family is going to be set up and that's the way it really used to be yeah marriage is about acquiring property it's about property it's not I mean, about it's not about romance yeah and all of like the british kings all the royal families they're all intermarried with the royal italian families right so all these people you don't realize that like oh this royal family say like the spencers or something like that you know they're married well you look far enough they're orsinis you know so it's just like there's this has happened all all throughout history but then you also have the biological imperative where women see a masculine guy they want that guy especially exactly. if they're ovulating they only want the guy that's the safe you know uh joe consistent for the rest of the time they that's want exactly that guy to be what the that's provider the, that's but when exactly. they're ovulating they want the freaking explorer conquistador whatever that's exactly what the study showed they said in that study in the british isles of all those women that's exactly what it showed they would nest with the safe guy they would copulate with with the crusher and so tomasi says uh it's it's the she the guy that they fucked at the the, the phone cannon party in cancun exactly. after they only knew him for five minutes <laughs> oh dude there used to be so much black humor around that they were like i think it was chris rock that was like he's like oh that one time with the guy in the club that didn't count that one time with bobby brown in jamaica that didn't count you know the, yep. se the seven dick curve <laughs> if, if she tells you there's 10 you know there's 17 like you don't you don't yeah. ask you don't want to know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, just be happy you're getting it. Yeah, but that's it. That's that's the thing is women control who gets to breed, and it's always been that way, right. unless they're they're a victim of being like a war bride, right? And that's why they can monkey branch so easily is because it's genetically wired into them that they have a survival mechanism that if they just got raided, their village, everybody's killed, they have a choice to either die or marry the captor, they're gonna survive, right? That's it's like a human thing that. A lot of people, it's a dark nature. It's hard when, when you're a man and you don't understand that stuff. But when you start understanding history and how ruthless it can be, you understand why people have to adapt in a certain way, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, like the, what people don't realize is like the, the Great Britain, that place, it's literally, it gets its name from being called the Bretonax, the Isles or the Tin Isles. And so um, Islet Samais wrote, he said, about the declining of the Phoenician state, the Grecians began to trade into these parts. And they, who before had only heard of the Bratanax, which in the same sense they called Kesaterides, or the Tin Islands, now learnt the way to them and conformed themselves to the name the Phoenicians had given them, calling them first Bretanek Islands, afterwards Bretanis, uh, Britannis, and that's where you get Britannia. 
And upon increase of the Roman Empire and the fall of Carthage, the trading began to decrease. And the Grecians, for fear of that powerful state, Rome now, they discontinued their voyages to the Western seas. And it may be supposed that Britain lay idle during the space of 170 years till Julius Caesar's arrival. And so one of the things that I'm kind of different with everybody is I look at all this language and I don't really see a different empire, like even the Carthaginian, it's Sicilian Phoenician. Mm-hmm. I think what happened is you have a maritime empire. It's universal. It's ancient. I'm not saying it's all the same people. I'm not saying it's all the same rulership, but in general, it is a system that is run by the ecclesiastical nature, right? The the priests, because they have the use of alphabets, the masons, because they're building with masonry in every city, and then the navigators, because they need to get to and fro at each place. And this is the days before they had the technology to make roads. And so doing things on land was very cumbersome. Even I think I was reading an account when the Spanish went to Florida and stuff, they, it took them like years, I think like a decade almost, just to get five miles inland to Florida because the wilderness was so thick. So like, you know, so it's always just going to be easier to colonize towns where it's convenient to water and where it's convenient to access to like a port. And so I suspect that when this branch of the empire fell into the conflict, right, the Britons thought they were going to become their own empire and not pay tribute to Rome, which is what brought Julius and the Romans to Britain in the first place. And then once the British kings agreed to pay tribute, the conflict ended. And um, Julius's friend, Davitiacus, was a chief druid and a sovereign. And that was his best friend there. He even spared Davitiacus's brother who attacked the Roman army. And anybody else who would have done that would have been put to death. And he spared him on account of his friendship. So I don't think the Romans were there to like beat anybody into submission. I think it was just to reestablish like, hey, we know you guys think you're going to be like your own empire now that the Carthaginians are are no longer controlling these seas, but it, we're we're the head honchos now. And where, that Brit, go ahead. Where's the term piratis, the pirates? Because I've seen so so, uh, so many. Yeah, so- that's Greek. Ones with fire, piratis. Okay, so is that is that the same thing, the pirates and the piratis? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it looks like it, like it, the the upsilon acts like a Y. So yeah, and um, yeah, it's the ones with fire, and that's why I think there is that um, one eye symbolism. Right, you have the skull of Golgotha, the crossbones, which is like basically Saint Andrew's cross, which is the angle that the sun makes, the declar- declination of the sun at the uh, vernal equinox. It's also the Scottish. It's the same X in yeah, the Scottish. Saint Andrew's flag. cross. Yeah. Yep. And and so like when you see that British flag with the X's and then the one in the middle, middle you're seeing like the equator. So it crosses. Mm-hmm. The sun crosses over or is crucified. And um, so going back to um, remember how we were talking about that early runestone and, and stuff in like Finland, Denmark, right? Like mm-hmm. Sweden, Norway. Um, that if they want to look that up, it's called runestone G space 319. If you want to pull it up on a tab, you can see what I'm talking about. But it's basically the fucking fixed cross, meaning the cross is in the fixed signs, which are the signs where the royal stars are, which is the Aldebaran, oh, sorry, Aldebaran for um, St. Luke, which would be Taurus, 
then you have um, Regulus, which is Leo, then you have Antares, which is Scorpio, and then you have Fomohot, which is the, it's not technically in Aquarius, but it's the fish's mouth that he pours his urn into. And so those make a card, uh, not a card, a, a fixed cross. And you have the, the Regulus and Fomohot are white stars, while the uh, Antares and um, Aldebaran are red stars. Those are the royal fixed stars? Yes. And so do you that, know they've they all correspond. switched? <laughs> what do you mean they've all switched? Uh, each one of them now is an immutable sign. Well, they're in, the, they're in that house. They haven't changed their signs. Like Regulus is still in Leo, right? That's just because of procession. Uh, it's kind of fun when you actually look at it. Because um, my, my training in Celestics, I was like, the, one of the ones that we really watched the most was Regulus. So you're saying Regulus is now in the sign in, in either, Libra, it's in, I'm guessing, uh, Virgo? Virgo. Virgo? Yeah, it's like... That, that would totally, that would debunk the notion of fixed stars. That would be like the greatest evidence of heliocentrism. And, I, uh, I'm not universe. a big fan of thinking that the the constellate. I I don't think the fixed star. Like I don't think anything in the realm of the physical is supremely fixed. Um, hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I photographed uh, Regulus because it's a winter. You can see all that in winter. Right. I photographed it, and it's still in Leo, as far as I can see. I'll send you some. I I just read about four articles on it. I think I have it. You know Gabe or Gabriel. You, you, you should be, you should, whoever's discovering this should be like world famous right now because you would be proving that the stars are not moving in unison. Well, it's kind of what, what I'm seeing happening mainly. The people that get really, really promoted are the ones that are kind of following the timeline, the, the, the timeline that the predator class wants us to believe that we're in. So the yeah, one I mean, I, if you if you got a photo or like um something that captures it and it shows it's in like Virgo now, I would be very interested in that. Yeah, I'll go ahead and send you some articles because I mean, uh, Gabriel and I have been just geeking so hard over this last you know four months because it, it's pretty significant because they're they're why is why is only Regulus moving into Virgo? What are the other stars doing? All of Are them have now switched now to their to the what you would call like the the hypothesis that that he and I are sharing is that every single one of these I'll send you the article as soon as I can. Mm -hmm. um, each one of these now are actually have phase shifted into the next mutable sign. So. Um, so, hold on, I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble conceptualizing. I just want to make sure I'm not misunderstanding. So you're saying the stars in reality are actually going into other, they're like colliding with the neighbor, neighboring constellation somehow? Well, if you look at Regulus, the Regulus traditionally was like in the last degree of Leo, right? No, but the, but the thing is, is the, 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 the stars don't move independently of each other. That's what I'm trying. That's what I'm having trouble conceptualizing, right? Like so, like the reason the serpent represents the stars, right, or the solar the solar right. system, that is because it scales move in unison. So when the serpent moves, 
the scales follow. The scales right. don't go off and move to other things. Precisely. So I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out are the stars moving like the scales of a snake or are the stars going there are they like blending with each other and is that that would be changing like the whole zodiac there's evidence are we talking about a physical thing or are we talking about like a like the house is changing no, that's, no. That's what i'm, I'm not you. talking i don't really deal that much with houses i deal with constellations so when you actually look at the geometry of the constellations that's the, the thing that's uh changing yes so i have no idea fomoha and the other i forget the other one change so Antares? change so far behind like or so far in the past that i wasn't even alive but this when was it 2012 i think it was 2012 it was when the there was the actual shift i'm forgetting whether it was the one that was in fixed air which was um what's the one in aquarius the fixed that's aquarius yeah yeah, but which one of the royal stars is the one that was in? That would be that would be Formohat. Yeah, it's but it's it's actually part of Piscis uh, 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 Australis, the southern southern fish. So it's like the fish at the like if you were to look at the, at the exactly the graphic or whatever, it, it's that's what he's pouring his urn into the fish's mouth. So I'll send it because I'm going to misquote it. I forget when they all. Yeah, I, said, I mean, I look at it. I mean, if it's, it's it's real simple. It's either it's either in the stars, either in the stars are either colliding with each other or they're not. If they're so, colliding with each other, that's a huge freaking deal. My cosmology is that what we're actually looking up in the heavens is essentially some sort of phenomenological. It's essentially a frequency range where each one of these little sonoluminescent luminaries is just an aspect in consciousness. It's not like, you know, a star that's in the middle of, you know, some sort of galaxy billions and billions of miles away. No, no for sure. I don't accept that either, but so, that's why so, they're called the fixed stars. So you have your fixed stars, but there, you, mm -hmm. there's always these observations where the fixed, the, the phenomenal aspect of, what we're perceiving isn't as consistent as people want to make it sound like. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess, well, then that would be like saying that reality is subjective. And while there's an aspect to it, like, you know, like we don't know what any of them are because we can't get to them. So I think that's a, as valid of an idea as any other idea. Parts, um, of, parts of it are subjective, like all of us, in general experience the sun rising in the east and setting in the west in some angle yeah. or fashion we all like when we stand up every single one of us when we stand up our head is up and our feet are down like we we do have objective reality but when we start looking at like there's something to the observer effect like when you're actually looking at the natural world in almost every single uh tradition that i'm aware of when you start looking at it enough it becomes interactive with you now i cannot speak of the of these stars that change before my lifetime but in yeah. my in my lifetime seeing which one fomohat change like fomohat now being in pisces and now seeing antatus is now in virgo that's significant and so here's the hypothesis. Wait, wait, now, no, no, there's no way Antares could be in Virgo because that's a sign away from Virgo. Wh which one? 
You mean uh, you mean Regulus, Regulus, the heart of the lion? Regulus, thank you. So look at it this way. So check it out this way. The hypothesis that is being put out is, you know, everybody is talking about uh, the on the spring equinox in 20, two, 2300, we will see the sun rise on the southern aspect of, of Pisces. And then, then it will be in Aquarius. And that's how we'll know we're in the age of Aquarius. And my entire life, I've been hearing this BS about the age of Aquarius, age of Aquarius, age of Aquarius. And so I've asked every single astronomer and every single, uh, I'll just ask you too, since you're an astrotheologist. <laughs> Everybody yeah, that- so they, rec they reckoned, um, oh, go ahead, go ahead. So everybody talks about like, okay, changing of an age, changing of an age, changing of an age. So my question is, how do you actually delineate the change of an age? Like, how do you so actually? This was a subtle thing. And this goes back in, um, this, it used to not be called uh, the procession. What was the name? The Arabs had a different name for it. And this is like, this is like in like 900 AD. Like, so this has been something because everything you just described is called calculating. It's not actually measuring. And that's why these priests and shit always get this stuff wrong. And then, and then they bicker with them with each other and they have to change up their own religions and stuff to conform to their uh, mm -hmm. calculate calculation errors or whatever. Uh, that's why they had to destroy the 300 uh, crude idols around Mecca, 360, because the they realized that the the world, yeah, it's not a, the it's the sun cycle is not exactly 360 days. Right. So they have to hide the fact that 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 whole religion is also based on the, the solar cult, the sun symbols and the reckoning of the year, all that stuff. But um, so the the account that I got, um, this is how I figured it out. And I'm not making this claim, but it, it syncs up to pretty much what you'd see. In the time of Julius Caesar, he's the one that first changed the calendar uh, and they wreck it. He well, it's not him. He had because their calendar was off. They. Uh, he hired Sosigenes, which is a Chaldean astronomer from Egypt. And he reckoned the um, solar, uh, excuse me, the winter equinox at one, uh, approximately 1.30 a.m. on the 21st of December. So based on that calculation, then the equinox, the spring equinox would have been at uh, like the 29th degree of Pisces. Now, the difference is where you see like a lot of the, um, the, uh, the confusion coming is because when this system was done, like we have sidereal now and tropical. Sidereal is just de sideres of the stars, right? Mm -hmm. Where the stars actually are. When this system was created, they were still synced up. So you didn't have, so Aries was in Aries, right? It wasn't like now it's like 24 degrees off because every 71 years and eight to nine months, it procession precedes or the procession. Uh, if you were to look, measure it on the same day, it's at it on the equinox. It's a different, it like slowly looks like it's retrograding. That doesn't mean it's retrograding. It's just it, what it means is the sun cycle does not match up exactly with the movement of the stars so that they will conform to the same place in the same time throughout history mm -hmm. and it's never going to be 100 reliable so according to that procession you count how many years ago that was you divide it by that 71 i think it's 0. 0.667 or something like that whatever eight or nine months is 
and you you get uh, the error that it went into. How many degrees from the 29th degree of Pisces it would take to go into that first degree of Aries, where it would be the age of Aries. Now, what's been done is modern astrologers with the invention of like the telescopes and all this stuff, and then the ability to create lenses that allows them to look at the sun, they might be able to see stars. I don't know that they can, but I think what they're doing is they're calculating where the sun is, where it rises on the um, the the equinox, which is going to be looking like at the end of Pisces anyways, because when, or it's going to be in Pisces anyways, because it hasn't been far enough for it to get out of that sign, because when this system started, it was the beginning of Aries. But if you look at it from a practical thing before that technology, they had to look at it with their eyes. And so you can't see the stars. If there's even like a little bit of light, like dawn or whatever, the stars all go away unless, uh, you're looking at like a planet like Venus or something like that, Mercury and fall or whatever. But what they did is they would calculate it based on an hour before dawn. So mm -hmm. if you were to figure out what dawn is, like just use Rome as your, um, you, you want to use the tropical system, not the sidereal, if you're going to keep track of all reckoning. Because in 2000 years, you're going to have to change the tropical system yet, uh, sorry, the sidereal system yet again because the signs will be off their reckoning yet again so that's why they had to create the gregorian calendar because the holidays were like 11 days off their reckoning or something like that and they didn't match up to the equinoxes and the solstice or whatever so what they did is they created this idea of the great year which is oh since this procession is occurring these signs are never going to link back up to their original houses to their original places till 26, it's like 25,900, whatever. Yeah. You know, it's basically Nearly. about 26, the great year is 26,000 years. But even this is a new concept because you can go back to like 900 AD. And what they originally thought that is that it would process for like 620 years and then it would go back like a pendulum. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until after it's like, oh, it's not going back. Oh, then it must just do that around the whole cycle. So they've never been right, and we have no real way of knowing, so it could all be bullshit. So I'm not one of those people that's going to make these claims, but if you were to look at, uh, just type in Rome an hour before dawn and use the tropical system to account for a procession, it would still be, you would be an hour before dawn, you would see that the Lord of the Ascendant is Aquarius. And we're like, we're, we're a couple hundred years into it, if you just want to use that system. I'm not saying you should. I'm not an astrologer or an astronomer. I just do it casually, like to correspond. I needed to know it to know this mythology. What do you mean by Lord Lord of the Ascendant? So that's like a big deal in the mythology. So at a certain time, the sign on the ascendant is going to be the Lord of the Ascendant, the sign that's ruling. So like at the equinox. So if you were to do it in the old days, an hour before dawn, you would look at which sign is on the ascendant rising mm -hmm. whereas the descendant is what's on the horizon on the setting and so going back to where we were talking about egypt the reason egypt is so significant i'm not saying it's the only purpose of them but those pyramids were observatories and that's how we compiled that's how we have all this knowledge available to us because the weather's perfect the dry desert sky nothing blocking their view they can see all this stuff and measure it so a lot of this comes from egypt for that reason whereas like that's one of my reasons why I don't think it came from 
Scandinavia, from Britain, from places like <laughs> close to the equator where they have those rainy seasons because you can't see the sky for a huge portion of the year. Yes. You need that desert environment. That's why the Arabs are so good at it. And that's why the Egyptians are so good at it. What? But again, but, uh, hold I'm on. not making any but, things on it. I'm just telling you, basically. So this equinox, which was actually not the 21st, it was the 18th. Uh, 17th, depending on, for me, it was the 17th. But where I am, I'm at like 40 degrees north latitude, uh, 49 degrees or 48, something like that. Uh, there's no equal day and night rhyme. There's always a one minute. It, the, the closest I got to equal day and night where I am is less than like a minute off. But then when you calculate it, you look at it at like, say, like Rome, like you just said, it was on the 18th. Yeah. So for but me, it, in places for, it's the 17th. And that's why St. Patrick's Day is on the 17th. Exactly. So with that, it's not even equal day or equal night. It's just when it goes south of the of the actual. Well, e but that's what equal. But that's what equinox means. It means I, I, I understand. But, but like like we're talking about the variation as you actually move north within within the within the model as you mm -hmm. move north it's almost impossible to have equal day and night so like you said like you were within one minute when i was in costa rica i could get i could get equal day and night and so it became very it so close to the equator yeah it became very important to me to know that because there were very specific shamanic rituals that you had to do on the equinox like you it and like going on the 21st every year was just bullshit. <laughs> it's like, that's not equal. Yeah, it wouldn't line up. Yeah, yeah. And, and you can also see like, there's a chance that it could have been at a different time because like you, if you look at like uh, in the Christian tradition, Michael Moss day, that St. Michael's day, that has historically been on the 28th or 29th of Libra mm -hmm. or September, I should say. Yes, on the other side. And that's, that's the whole symbolism of it, right? Because right. the reason it's called judgment day the sun judges everything, the whole world in equal day and equal light. That's kind of like the story behind it. And the stories are just to help people remember this stuff because you got to remember all this shit was made before people were literate and before they had easy access to writing and recording instruments. And so a lot of people, they get really mad at astrology and they get, but it's like, if you look at it, it's a very necessary um, tradition. Even if you don't buy into like all the, like, I'm, I would be in the category that I don't believe anybody can predict the future. I think you could look at stuff and patterns and say, if this isn't changed, this is like that. This is the probable outcome. Mm -hmm. But I still look at astrology as like weather, like, like that equinox, you know, that's, that's, you got to start planting, right? You know, you know, if you want to get those first fruits of Gemini or that early hay, you got to get it going in Aries, you know, that, that's, so that's my out. <laughs> you reminded me, I got to get out into the sun while I still have it to get all my, all my, uh, biochar cooking. All right. Thank Sounds you for, good. thank you for being so flexible with me on that. It's just like, we've had three dry yeah, of course. in a row. So I have like actual dry. Yeah. You got to get it going. No, I, I thank you for compromising and, and getting it going because I, you know, I, I work really hard on this and it's like, I don't have it in me to do I like set up my whole day around this and now. Uh, no, this so, is wonderful. So, you. so Dylan, tell, tell the people where they can find your, your good work. Yeah. And you, there was some, you're going to offer something to the bio. Yeah. So all of, for sure. All of my, um, uh, 
for anyone who saw this, uh, you can find me, I'm typing it in right now, beacons.ai slash great tide, boom. This page will take you to, um, you have my podcast appearance, the book, the first books of all my series, my author page, and then if you click the bottom of the Substack, this is where all my research is now. And there's a lot of great resources. Um, this is the best. So speaking of like astrotheology and mythology, this is the best post I've ever made that I've ever seen available that explains everything to you at a beginner's level um, and how it's all encoded. And you'll have like the royal stars and all that stuff like we were just talking about how they are depicted in Christianity. Um, see, that's like Luke with the bull, Mark with the lion, Regulus, right? The Scorpio is also depicted as an eagle in its oh. higher form. Yep, and that's going to be St. John. And then you have St. Matthew with Aquarius, mm -hmm. the angel, the man. So there's all this great uh, content there. That's where my stuff is. So um, go subscribe there if you want. And um, if you message me on Instagram at the Holy Sailors, just put Gardner, send, and then the next message, send your email. And I will plug it in and give you a free month. And, and we'll allow that for three days after this post. So the day it posts and then followed by three days. And awesome. if, if there's two parts, we can do it with both, you know. I just don't want to be like getting messages like from months from now, like, hey, Gardner and this. I'm like, no, no. I want it for Gardner's real fans, real, people who support you. That's who it's for. And we're going to be posting this on Good Friday, the April oh, 7th. Excellent. On April 7th. So this is very, very pertinent. This is wonderful. Dylan, I love your work. I always, every time I hear you in whatever capacity. You got four books coming to you. I sent you four of my books. Oh, Everything wonderful. I've written for the last year. So it should be there by April 5th. Great. I'm going to nerd hard because I've, I've been looking for stuff to read. So this is excellent. Yeah. And you know, if you don't like it, who cares? You got it for free. Oh, I'll let you know. I'll let yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you like, you know, you, sir. No, I'll, I'll make sure to char them perfectly. And they'll be oh, disclaimer. Gardner is not responsible for anything I said in this interview. So if you got <laughs> triggered, do not leave him bad reviews. Just it's all my fault. I just want to make sure, like, you know, he's just giving me a platform. And for that, I'm eternally grateful because not a lot of people give me a voice. So I just want to thank you for even if you don't agree or whatever, at least give me a platform to, to share my work. Awesome, Dylan. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful afternoon. All right, brother. Enjoy your day. I will. Dylan Sicocio. I hope you enjoyed the the brain on this dude um i have to say my worldview is becoming more and more broad i know i've always known we've come from dignified background we don't come from the murderer's row that hollywood wants us to think of course there's been you know crime and theft and death and murder and all this but like the utter carnage that has been displayed to us is impossible. Um, I have to say one of my favorite classes I ever took was uh, this one statistics class in economics in university. And it was incredible to see like when you have a slight mean derivation, what actually occurs to, to the, the subset that you're looking at. And so with populations, if, if our history was anything like Hollywood depicts it, where 
the Vikings, the Marauders come in and murder everyone, or the <laughs> or the Mongolians come down. You Mongolians attack your shitty wall. Um, guess what? None of us would be here. You, you take out you know forty percent of the male population of any population. You take out thirty percent. You take out twenty percent. Uh, guess what? They stop. They stop being. Uh, what is it? Not over unity, but uh, they they go below replacement. So <laughs> I'm making a T-shirt called "Above Replacement." <laughs> that's that's the goal, and everything to do is to be above replacement. You're not going to be replaced by AI. The whole the whole notion of of the Phoenicians, and I'm taking this from Dylan Sicosio's work. I'm taking this from Doctor. Narcolongo's work, uh, all the different great researchers that I've listened to and read, even a bunch of Graham Hancock stuff, you know, even the even a lot of the shills. You, if you look at a lot of their work, they're still giving you tidbits, and it's up for you to discern. But the big thing to to get from all this is that more than likely our predecessors really got along, <laughs> and they. They shared ideas, and uh, the simple folk just want to dance and reproduce and farm, and they they want just enough to get by. the The uber materialism that you see now is is the antithesis of what used to be a a civilization that was based on quality, not quantity. So you know, take this to heart. Everything that you do, try and make it better than you used to do it. You know, everything that you're doing, just get better. Just get a little bit better. It doesn't take much. And then this world will be better. It's that simple. So thank you for joining us. Please go to toferhq.com. Uh, the donations page uh, helps us with everything we're going to be doing. In May, we're filming uh, my biochar retort videos uh i had to spend around two thousand dollars to get all the materials because i can't order one off so i have to order 10 at a time so in that case i might manufacture a few to kind of recoup my costs but if you guys have uh,